You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, Bucknoters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I'm very happy to be joined by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. Baxendale, a lot to get into. The crux of the show is going to be about conference realignment madness. Just your overall thoughts with the news that it looks like Texas and Oklahoma are eventually going to move to the SEC. Everything else that's going on, we'll get into specifics. But just your overall thoughts on this uh, crazy situation that we're dealing with. Yeah, dude, this is absolutely bonkers. Because if you remember the last round of expansion, like Texas was the big bully, right? They were the ones who ran the show. They were the ones trying to go to the Pac-12, make it the Pac-16. And then they took their ball and went home whenever the Pac-12 told them they couldn't have their own network, which, man, what a blunder that was in hindsight, considering the Pac-12 network's been a bomb. So, you know, that would have essentially locked in place the Pac-12's future. And they used to talk about how little Texas would never go to the SEC. Their academics suck. This is Texas we're talking about here, by God. By God, Texas. The next thing you know, Texas is like, never mind, we're going to go slum it with an Aggie in their new conference, right? There's been more MS Paint fund that was made about Aggie going to the SEC 10 years ago. Go Google it. And now the Longhorns are showing up for their own fun. This is going to be hilarious because – Texas is essentially damning itself to an eternal eight and four by going to an SEC West that, if you think about what the SEC West is, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, LSU, and the two Missouri schools, or Mississippi schools. Like, that's a loaded division. And God forbid the SEC East now, when Auburn and Alabama move in, Tennessee is never going to be relevant again. It's going to be absolutely hilarious. And I don't think this is where any of this is going to stop. So this is the beginning of what I think is a major consolidation shift towards a future where I don't know if the NCAA is going to be involved. Dave, I could see this going where we end up with two, you know, major elite conferences. And then the next tier down after that, I don't think this consolidation is stopping anytime soon. So what do you think the big tens next move should be? Let's say that this, um, cause it's not official yet. Let's say that Texas and Oklahoma do, you know, join the SEC, and even if they do, they won't join until 2025 unless they do the buyout. They still, it's not going to be like this year. It's not going to be like immediate. But if it does happen, what should the Big Ten's next move be? It's Notre Dame or nothing. There's no if, ands, or but about it. It's Notre Dame or it's nothing. There's nobody else remotely plausible. Like you can talk about USC and UCLA and all the Pac-12's top teams coming to join the Big Ten, but that's a bunch of a joke at this point. There's too much distance involved. It's not going to work. It starts and ends with Notre Dame. And at the end of the day, if you don't get Notre Dame, it is not worth expanding. Like, Kansas? We're talking about Kansas? That's insane. Kansas doesn't bring anything to the table. They suck at football. There's not a lot of residents that live there. Like, 
what kind of a wimpy counterattack would this be if you're playing the Game of Thrones of college football and the SEC makes the power move to take over Oklahoma and Texas? And you're like, it's cool. We got Kansas and Iowa State. Hell no. The next two additions of the Big Ten need to be Notre Dame plus whoever else we need to fit in to match with Notre Dame. There's not a single team to add that's going to bring any of the value to the table that is worth doing any expansion unless it's Notre Dame. And here's the thing. If the SEC gets Oklahoma and Texas and it kind of halts the momentum there because Notre Dame won't go and the ACC stays intact, like the reality is there's no reason for the Big Ten to go further. They're already making more money than the SEC. They're up to renegotiate their TV deal again before the SEC. They have uh, some of the biggest brands in college football already under their belt. So sure, the SEC is going to turn into a more powerful conference and a 12-team playoff only helps that conference get more and more teams in, right? At the end of the day, okay, fine. But unless you see like a complete thing where a Clemson or a Florida State ends up in the SEC and we start really consolidating down towards the end scenario of the NCAA not really sanctioning major college football anymore, I don't see a reason for the Big Ten to expand unless it starts and ends with Notre Dame, period. What do you make of this talk about, I don't think they could possibly merge with the Pac-12 where that's, you know, where it's like everybody, you know, in both, so where, where it would be like a 26 team conference. I'm not buying that. I'm also not buying that it would be like all, I've heard this floated too, which is ridiculous. I was talking about this on local airwaves in Columbus last, uh, yeah, last night on the Buckeye show, um, that there could be a scenario. And seriously, this is being talked about where all 14 big 10 teams would stay. And then the big, and like, then like basically the top six teams in the Pac-12 would then join the Big Ten for the Super 20-team conference. I'm like, that's there's no way that's going to happen. But I do think they're, they're, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 already have some type of an alliance. I can see that being increased. You know, If they can't get Notre Dame, that could help them get Notre Dame. If they could get Notre Dame because of the USC ties and everything. Um, what do you make of the idea that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 um, could merge. What do you think of that whole idea about the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 alliance? It's one of those pie-in-the-sky things. Like, the issue we're going to run into, and I genuinely believe this is the case, is that if the SEC holds Pat at 16, I think everything else stays still. You may see the Big 12 bump up a Memphis, or they may do some sort of merger with the AAC, or – Maybe since he gets to move into the Big 12 finally, right? But at the end of the day, the Pac-12 is too far away, distance-wise, to remotely make this work for smaller teams. You're not going to have, you know, Oregon State end up as part of some package that Ohio State's in. Like, that's just not going to happen. I think this, the way that this continues down this pathway of destruction is when the SEC turns from Oklahoma and Texas and then says, hey, Florida State, hey, Clemson. You need to return to your natural home, which would be, of course, the SEC, right? That's when I think things start to snowball and force the hand. Because here's the other thing. Notre Dame loves their precious little independence. Even though they're with the new playoff system going to 12, they're not guaranteed a spot unless they're an at-large, right? The conference champions, the top, what is it, top six champions, I believe? Top five, the top six champions would be the ones that would be among the 12 seeds. Notre Dame can't play for a championship right now. So that automatically cuts their field in half. If that's too much for Notre Dame, then they'll join a league. But they don't want to be pigeonholed as a Midwestern team. That was their whole reason for wanting to do the ACC. 
was to say we can still play our West Coast, USC, and Stanford games. We can play the ACC teams up and down the Eastern Seaboard, and it's a new thing for them. So for them to join the Big Ten, there's going to need to be an impetus for it. And I think if there is a consolidation down towards two big conferences, then Notre Dame becomes part of the discussion, or three big conferences. Let's say the ACC looks like it's all of a sudden going to be destabilized again by the SEC praying the biggest schools from them. Well, then Notre Dame is going to be in the discussion. But whether Notre Dame is willing to do anything about it outside of some other seismic shift beyond the one we've already seen remains to be seen. And I, I don't really believe the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are talking about any sort of merger. You may see that annual series like they had talked about doing before the pandemic a while back. Um, I think they're really major impact here is going to be how does this affect the smaller conferences and whether there's going to be another domino that falls and we start seeing the sec say something like we don't care what the ncaa says about scholarship limits it's now 100 because we have the money to do it and you jerks don't at that point the big 10 has to react because you're forcing ohio state and michigan and penn state and notre nebraska and then all the teams that aren't in the big ones like notre dame and usc and ucla and arizona state and all these other programs they'd be pushed into irrelevancy because they would be essentially at the same disadvantage FCS, FCS is to FBS. That's where this all starts making a difference to me. I agree with you. It's Notre Dame or nothing. If they're going to expand, it needs to start with Notre Dame. Then you could add whoever from there. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think, as you said, I mean, I agree with you on both major points here. ND or nothing. And I don't think Notre Dame's going to want to join the Big Ten. So um, good discussion there. A few more things to get into. Later on, we will finish the show talking about the health of certain Ohio State players entering camp. Before we get to that, real quick, I mean, this is kind of, you know, along the same, you know, uh, <laughs> lines of what we were talking about with conference realignment madness. But I want to get into all the stuff Ryan Day has had to deal with since taking over. First of all, as we all know, as sports fans, you never want to be the coach to take over for the legend. You want to be the coach to take over the guy who took over for the legend. Well, you know, Ryan Day took over for the legend. Literally at his introductory press conference, he had to share it with Urban Meyer's, you know, exit press conference. That never happens. It would be like, you know, John Cooper sharing his introductory press conference with Earl Bruce, you know, Trestle sharing his introductory press conference with Coop. It's just, it was, you know, and Ryan Day took it all in stride. He has no ego. Well, I'm sure he's got some ego. Um, so first of all, you start with that. You take over for the legend. The, the I mean, how, how are you going to do? And, and he's done fantastic on the field. How are you going to do as a recruiter? Has done great. So just that alone. I mean, the pressure cooker that is Ohio State is tough. And then you take over for a legend. Then backs, you deal with a global pandemic that is COVID-19. You deal with the new transfer rule in college football where guys can just transfer and not sit out a year, which is crazy compared to how it used to be for like the last however many years. Name, image, and likeness, which is even crazier compared to how it's been forever in amateur sports. Now all this expansion talk. Can you imagine being Ryan Day? I mean, just being the Ohio State head coach is crazy. And all of this has been poured onto his plate in the last two years. Yeah, his first press conference as head coach was, you're sitting next to the only man who wasn't fired as Ohio State's head coach since Paul Brown. Like, good luck. Like, every single Ohio State coach since World War II, their tenure ended with a firing. Every single one until Urban Meyer. No pressure, Ryan Day. And then you talk about everything else. You went through it very well there, Dave. There has been more shenanigans 
that have gone on around everything, the fact that he has held this program together the way it has been. If you look at the massive success his two years in charge have been, and there's no other way to describe it, Ryan Day's two years in charge of Ohio State football have been immaculate. I know we haven't won a national championship, but they have ended in an absolutely unfair loss in many ways in a playoff game, in a game they should have won. And they lost in a national championship game to a senior-laden, loaded, hyper-elite Alabama team in a year where they had no consistency due to idiotic COVID rules in the Big Ten and everything else that was going on with the season trying to be canceled in the first place. So what Ryan Day has gone through is mind-boggling. I cannot wait to see what he's going to do in the years to come. And by the way, what is he, 41, 42, oldest at this point? So we've got a we've got a really good coach on our hands here. We are very blessed with all this other stuff. Like, let's say the expansion domino like does fall. Let's say that shit goes wild here, and Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, and you know SEC takes Clemson and Florida State and Miami and Louisville, and you know the Big Ten snaps up Notre Dame and North Carolina and Virginia Tech, and it gets crazy. Well. Ryan Day will just shrug and go, okay, cool. I'm going to keep winning football games. So we do here at the Ohio State University. Uh, you know, it's really important that we go out and we, we work really hard. We, we show a lot of respect to our brothers and we have a big smile on our face when we're about to murder people by 70 points. And, uh, you know, it's what we like to do here at Ohio State. It's the Ohio State University for a reason. And, uh, you know, we're going to do our best to win every game, every day, every second. Like, that's what he's going to do. It's not going to change because the guy is a rock star. Like Urban Meyer's greatest gift to Ohio State and – you have to say this, considering all the immaculate things Urban did on his own right here. Turning the program from the precipice and the abyss of complete irrelevancy on the end of the Trestle era, normally most programs, folks, go down in the crapper for five years at a minimum. Major programs fall off all the time. If you look through the last 30 years, Ohio State is literally the only program, right? That, I mean, from the time of the, the last 20 years, the last Trestle era, through the Meyer era into Ryan Day. Our only bad year of that entire time period was the lost year with an interim coach in between with Luke. In a year where Fickle almost went 10-2 and two, if you look at all the close losses he had. That's it. There's no disasters, fall off the edge, five-year, 10 years that most of, if not all these programs have had. I mean, the only other program that's been as recession-proof as Ohio State over that time period is Oklahoma. That is the only one over in the entire country We've had programs that maybe hit higher highs, Alabama, USC, the, the, the Pete Carroll era, right? But all these other programs have fallen into the gutter and bounced back. You know, they all go down. Some of them come back up. Some of them like Tennessee or Michigan don't, right? It's a very difficult thing to be on top. And Ohio State has been on top forever. And Urban's greatest gift wasn't just saving us from the abyss and winning a championship. It's going to end up being Ryan Day. Because Ryan Day might be here for 15 years. How many championships is the guy going to win in 15 years? Or even if he's only here 10 years and he goes off to try to win a Super Bowl because he has that kind of offensive acumen. He is going to be – I never thought you'd have a more successful coach than Urban Meyer at Ohio State. But it's quite possible Ryan Day is on track to be that guy. So Urban's greatest gift might not be the amazing tenure he had. It might be his successor that he was smart enough to go, all right, guys, you know what? I need a break. Put that guy in. As promised, let's close the show giving some injury updates with the Buckeyes starting preseason camp in less than two weeks. How cool is it to say that they're going to be starting camp on 
August 3rd. I mean, that is just uh, so cool to say that. Excuse me. Excuse me. Unless I said, excuse me, in less than two weeks, in less than a week. So, uh, you know, six days away. I'm so happy right now. I know it's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. So let's look at some of the guys that we we're not sure what their status would be entering camp. You know, Ryan Day went through all these guys for those that didn't know at Big Ten Media Days. So Cameron Brown, cornerback, coming back from the torn Achilles, he's going to be full go for the start of camp. That's huge. Cam Brown, Court Williams coming back from the torn ACL, he's going to be full go. Huge news. Dallas Gant coming back from the foot injury, he's going to be full go. Harry Miller, full go. Now we're hearing Tyler Friday might be a little banged up. That's not coming from Ohio State. That's coming from our sources of Bucknuts. And, um, you know, we'll get to Marcus Hooker in a moment to get your thoughts on that. But mostly good news here. Cam Brown coming back. Court Williams is going to be healthy. Dallas Gant. Tyler Friday a little banged up. Overall, I'll take that heading into camp, Bax. So Cam Brown's a really important one. Uh, if you look closely at Ohio State's run of cornerbacks that have been drafted, all these high-level players, they all had a year to sort of cut their teeth. They, maybe they weren't as successful. You know, they, they were the nickelback. They, they figured things out. They, if you look at all of them, really, outside of Marshawn Lattimore, who was just injured for a couple of years and then had one glorious year and then went off to the league, all these guys had a year where they were kind of not the guy. They might have struggled a little bit. Maybe they adjusted some quicker than others. Like Denzel Ward adjusted quicker. I would say than Gary on Conley or Jeff Akuta did, but they all had that year where they weren't the guy. And then the next year they were that much better. And with COVID and Cam Brown's injury last year, that was supposed to be his year where he was the third man, right? Who's the third man was supposed to be Cam Brown. Right. And at the end of the day, I wonder how much that lost year for him is going to impact Ohio state this year. Right. You have, you have seven banks back. Let's hope he's as good as all the draft pundits hope it uh, seemed to think he's going to be this year. Cam Brown was supposed to be the guy who had the year as the number three corner last year and then stepped into the starting role this year. So if he's fully healthy, maybe he took enough mental reps last year that he can still take that step. He's going to be fascinating for me to watch, though. You want to talk about little stories that nobody's really talking about? Cam Brown, at a position of great need, is one of the biggest wild cards. He's the joker on the board right now because if he had – you can count last year as his, you know, learning things year, which I don't know if we really can because of the injury. He could be in position to step in and be a starting-level corner. That was certainly the plan before the Achilles injury at Penn State, of course. So I'm interested to see that there. Court Williams is another guy where people raved about him before he got hurt last year. So that really sucked. But he's a young guy. He's got lots of eligibility left. I don't know if he's going to necessarily be on the field a ton this year in the first place, but he's a guy who certainly could play his way into some, some playing time. And he's a unique athlete in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to see him. I'm glad he's healthy. Get him going. He doesn't play a ton this year. This guy is going to contribute down the line. So that's a really important one for Ohio State as well. Now, you talk about Tyler. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, you talk about Tyler Friday being injured. I'm concerned there a little bit. But Ohio State has depth at defensive end. And it really helps when you can plug in Jack Sawyer and JTT. That's a really good card to play twice. <laughs> so I feel like Ohio State's doing all right on that one. So, you know, th- that's a good sign there. And then, of course, Harry Miller coming back healthy. Look, I think he got some unfair guff from people last year. I think e- even I said this about how watching Matt Jones come in and play. <laughs> that was a really good performance by him. But that doesn't mean Harry Miller's not incredibly important this year as the center. 
so many people were, were harping on his snaps at Michigan State <laughs> in a game where the line was held together with chewing gum and chicken wire. Like, this is a guy who was a five-star recruit. He played well at guard. He's a natural center with all the practice time and the rhythm that comes with playing as a center with the new quarterback, which is likely C.J. Stroud, but a discussion for another day. I think Harry Miller's going to be quite good this year, and he's obviously an immaculate human being. So these are all great signs for Ohio State outside of Tyler Friday, but hopefully it's a position of depth where if he needs a little time to get healthy and before he can come in and contribute, that's okay because we have a lot of good defensive ends at Ohio State this year. So last thing, Marcus Hooker began the season last year as the starting safety. Josh Proctor ended up beating him out. Marcus had the DUI in January, missed all of spring due to suspension. Um, Ryan Day said, you know, at media days, first time talking about it, that uh, Marcus has done everything they've asked him to do, that, you know, he's gotten some help and uh, they're going to give him a second chance. They're going to give him a second chance. And I don't know if they'd get another one, but they're going to give him a second chance. And it sounds like he's done – doesn't sound like it. Ryan Day saying he's done everything that they've asked him to do and everything he needs to do. And again, I don't know if he's going to play a big role this year. And most important thing is I hope, you know, everything is, is going well for him as a young man, but it doesn't even sound like he's going to be suspended to begin the, the season. I doubt we're going to see him on the field that much. Uh, those first couple of games, I still think that might be, uh, you know, yeah, he's not suspended, but you know, uh, he, he might not see the field uh, regardless. Those first couple of games we'll see. Um, but just your thoughts on what uh, Ryan Day had to say about Marcus Hooker. Well, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, with two DUIs at that young of an age, him having the, the help he needs is the most important thing. We've, we've seen stories of, of kids who have this issue at a younger age, and sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you want it to. So that, above all else, is the most important thing in this picture. Football secondary. Uh, that said... The reality is Marcus Hooker had played himself off the field before. He, he, he wasn't one of the best safeties by the end of last year, not even close. Um, and the, the, the truth is, I don't know if he's more than a special teamer and a mop-up time guy at this point with the, the Ohio State young safeties improving, a guy like Proctor in place. I mean, Lathan Ransom, come on. These are guys that are going to be on the field ahead of him. So I hope he's got his act together. Obviously, he's got a lot to live up to with having a big brother who had maybe the greatest season of one season of playing safety at Ohio State in the last 40 years. Certainly going back to Jack Tatum, I don't know if you can think that anybody had a better year than Malik Hooker did his one year starting. Uh, So, you know, obviously Marcus is here trying to live up to a really insurmountable uh, level of familial expectation there. But you hope that he can come back and be a positive contributor you know, turn his life around with some of the off-field stuff. And he could be a great presence in that locker room to help some of these guys. You know, they talk about real-life Wednesdays and helping these guys find ways in their future, whether it's good careers, good financial decisions, good personal choices. I mean, Marcus Hooker at this point, if he turns it around, could do one of those on his own. So you hope that he can be a leader. You hope that he can be a guy that they look up to. And you hope he's got his stuff together in his personal life. But the reality is, is even if this hadn't happened, I don't think he was going to be in the conversation to be a starter. So for Ohio State, this is a depth guy uh, that Ryan Day unfortunately has to talk about a lot. And hopefully he's got himself together. And I think that's the best way to leave this and say that we wish the best for Marcus Hooker. And hopefully he can be a positive influence in the locker room and keep himself on a good path in his personal life. No doubt about it. Well said. Great stuff from the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. You can catch his column every Sunday on Bucknuts. It is the bucket of bullets. Thank you very much.
facts. Thank you to all those listeners out there for tuning in the show. We appreciate that very much. Hope everyone has a great day. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.